Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad. I hope you enjoy this extract from a classic live episode with Dara O'Brien and Ed Byrne. To hear the full hour-long interview and more of this kind of deep-dive fun chats with the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores, along with our other series, Irishman in America with Marion McKeown, our true crime series, Irishman Behind Bars, and lots, lots more, sign up for premium. Irishman Abroad over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. This will only take you a minute to do, but for less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to everything, including an even bigger interview with Ed and Dara. You can also walk around with a spring in your step of someone who knows they helped this series survive and grow through these difficult times. Our chosen charity partner for this episode and all our episodes is Jigsaw.ie. Jigsaw are a youth mental health charity that works to provide young people back in Ireland with the mental health skills they will need to survive this life. Now, clearly, through the pandemic, they've seen a huge surge, a 400% jump in demand for their one-on-one and group services. And their phone line, webinars, and Jigsaw's website, Jigsaw.ie, is under huge strain but they're still making a massive difference across all communities. Why not take a minute to go over and visit jigsaw.ie, see if they can help you or someone young in your life, or maybe through a regular donation, you can help them. That's jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Hello! Hello! Thank you! Thank you! Hello and welcome to An Irishman Abroad, live at the Vodafone Comedy Festival. Uh, You join us, uh, if you're listening to this at home, we are in basically uh, the Teletubbies house, uh, which is the perfect setting for our only our second ever live episode of An Irishman Abroad. Will you please put your hands together for our guests today, Darrow Breen and Ed Byrne. Vlad's, oh. <clears throat> thanks. Thanks for coming. It's, Thank a, it's you. a pleasure, and, and it was a delight to be welcomed by such a spontaneous uh, round of applause. It really didn't need any encouragement really to do it. Yeah. Um, Can I say I love the idea that it's called an Irishman abroad and it's happening in Ireland? It is. It uh, is. Because that's half, the, half the, the, the joy of going abroad is coming home, obviously. Yes. Uh, so, this, is this the last one where we all return? That all the people <laughs> who previously done the Irishman abroad return to Ireland? Is this the final episode of Lost where we discover <laughs> yeah, it's all gonna that make actually sense. living in England was perfect? 
purgatory. Well, for the, people, <laughs> for the people that don't know, and there's a few people here who haven't uh, listened to the show, which is uh, obviously very annoying, Ed set the record for the shortest uh, conversation we'd ever had on the show, and Dara smashed the record for the longest ever episode really? of the show. Oh. Is that typical of the two E? Would that be... No! I didn't... <laughs> re- I had double-booked myself that afternoon at the right. Edinburgh Fringe Festival when I said I'd do it, and I had to do something else, and that's why I just had to go. And I was... And I just kind of felt sorry for you, uh, <laughs> and had some time to kill before a corporate gig uh, in, a hotel, <laughs> in a hotel somewhere in East London. Because so, yeah. Brian, the producer, felt he said he, he rang me and felt sorry for me after your interview because at the end of it, I said, thanks, Ed, thanks for doing it. And all he could hear was me shouting after you, see ya, Ed, as he could hear your footsteps <laughs> scampering <laughs> out the door. Um, so I was late for the next thing. I gave you even more time than I could afford. I, know, I, I, I do appreciate, appreciate that. It. Comedian it, with no sense of timing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, sh- the show is usually, as you know, uh, me having kind of that kind of long-form conversation with with somebody but this is kind of unique and the reason why I thought it would be great to have the two of you is because uh, you're old friends it goes it goes way back uh, and people might necessarily know that first of all so maybe I'd like to know when did you become friends and was there a time when you knew each other but you weren't friends well obviously there's an initial moment uh, <laughs> where, where your eyes meet across a crowded bill the uh, I can uh, <laughs> We, we work together on a number of gigs. So this, like, but like, as you know, comedians w- end up working together on all these mixed bills. So we, uh, that's how we all end up you know, getting to know each other and spending time in cities we don't live a lot yeah. of the time. But, the, uh, but I supported Ed at the... Was it the da- Not the Dark Club. Uh, the Music Centre? No, the no? one that was down on the Keys... Um, not the laughter lounge. No, no, no. The, the, oh God, you did, you headlined the night, uh, and I know, I just, uh, the uh, and it was, I headlined a lot of nights there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, amidst a blur of gig thread, there's one where it was uh, God. I think it was the, the Dark Club, the Dublin Arts Club, which was if that's the right one thinking of. It was down on the keys at that bridge. Uh, between the customs house and the other side of the river, uh, <laughs> which is often how bridges go. Uh, and uh, but it was that bridge anyway. And there, was, there was a there was thing there, and I supported him there. And then we uh, there was a couple of amnesty gigs in the Gaiety, which they had uh, us on. Uh, you know, me particularly way too new to be doing it. And so we just we end up standing at the back of the of the group of that um, sniggering. As yeah. as I said when I was best man at Dara's wedding, I I said over the years Dara has been many things to me. At first, he was my opening act. Uh, and then he was the bloke who I let stay in my house when he was first trying to make inroads into the British comedy scene. And then he was the bloke who completely eclipsed my career. <laughs> <laughs> and whom I have a seething resentment of ever since. <laughs> to the bloke, I have to wait to die so I can get a fucking hosting job on the BBC. Because <laughs> they have their Irishmen now. Yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> the compliment is full, Ed. Sorry about that. <laughs> Was your was it straight off? You were you just hit it off. Oh, it's just, it was just a, I think, a sense of humour thing more than anything. Else. Yeah, and yeah. bitching about other people. Yeah, a lot of bitching <laughs> in know. the early days. Yeah, and, and then here you are, uh, like many years later, best men at each other's wedding. Now, from what I understand, that was an incident as such that a lot of friendships wouldn't have survived in a similar situation. In that, Dara didn't do you the courtesy that you did him. Is that correct? 
No, he asked me. To, I was, what? How do you mean? Meaning? Oh, oh, he fucking stormed it before I went on. Yeah, <laughs> right. He says, you know, he's, I'm I'm best man at his wedding, and he goes, oh, I'll just say a few words, and then you go on and do your thing. And he went on. He did like 15 minutes of blistering stand up <laughs> in front of. He knows everybody in the room, and it's like, and I remember that time in Galway when that happened. And he just fucking ripped it out, and then went, right, now Ed, do your thing. Do. <laughs> and half of these Gwail Gories that are in his family are going, I don't even know who this long-haired prick is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, no, if, if you, you've, been, you, you've been to the thing before. The, uh, if, if the easiest speech you'll ever give in your life anyway is the speech at your own wedding. Right. Because you just have to say the words, on behalf of my, my wife, wife and, and myself. <laughs> uh, and they all clap, and you Storm go, day. fuck yeah, you, yeah. Yeah. that's an easy clap to get. <laughs> And, uh, so, uh, so it was really easy to push against that open door and very tempting to do so, yeah. Uh, but you tempted to do what oh, he no, did. The flip side, because uh, I then had to do his wedding. Right. Right? I, mean, I had to do yeah, his wedding. Had to, yeah, uh, sorry, it was such know, a burden on your time. Sure, because you know, I had another thing lined up. Uh, and uh, so I had to knock that on the head, drag my arse over to Derbyshire, right? Uh, and do the thing. And I had, a, I had a thing written, right? A few gags, boom, 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 boom. Sentimental ending, right? Very Crucial. specific yeah. sentimental ending. So, because people always come up to you as, as a comedian, they go, "What do you go do a best man speech?" And I always say, "Don't do it. Just do some touching, mm-hmm. moving, genuine, heartfelt thing. It'll melt the room. You'll score. Uh, life is good. Everyone go ah <laughs> and ah. It's a much better sound way." So, I had a lovely thing about. Let's just say it was something about you know the privilege of being invited along by these two people whom we love to see them at this moment when they say this thing, right? Like, and those are the, almost exactly exact words that Ed used in his speech just before I went on and I, we want to thank because we are giving you this privilege of attending with us and I go that's my ending uh, and so I had to furiously come up with another sentimental ending which wasn't as good as the first sentimental ending so. he even said in his speech at my wedding you bastard you stole my sentimental ending at speech <laughs> I'm very sorry for doing your material at my wedding I, I didn't read your speech beforehand this is a level of comfort that but it <laughs> when I, the other thing, sorry, about doing okay. this wedding, this is what annoys me. I hadn't, I'd been a comedian for 10 or 15 years at this point, and one of the people in the audience, as I think of it, <laughs> my, my closest colleague, friend, yeah. Yeah. Friends, yeah. was yeah. the producer of Mock the Week, a show, at, 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 a big show in Britain that at this time I had not been asked to be on, <laughs> right. but was there and saw me do a story about him bringing the police to my house by walking out of it drunk and leaving the door open and flagging down a police car thinking it was a taxi. And so the police said, where are you coming from? Points to my house, the door's open. He's dressed in a fucking tuxedo and they just smell a rat. Okay, I'm sorry. Can I, can I, firstly, okay. can I firstly just flesh out a number of the details here to make it seem perfectly justifiable what I did, right? In Ireland, in Ireland, taxis have the word taxi written in lights across the roof, right? Where in England it says police. But from a distance, it is a lit sign on the roof. Right. Secondly, for some reason, I've gone to a Westlife album launch, uh, which was uh, which was black tie. I don't know why I done that, and then gone drinking afterwards to, in order to you know, wash myself out. Uh, so, and then wandered out as Maxwell said, because Andrew Maxwell was there as well. Wandered his feet like a cat burglar. I'd walked out like a gentleman thief out of this house, going, "Hello, officers! You'll never catch me. Uh, I, I am the Duke of Theft." <laughs> and then the cops came in, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in bed. So they they actually go in the door. They come in. The door, I'm in bed, and this this woman comes into my room, and I said, <laughs> "My lucky day." <laughs> this woman comes into the room, and I'm in bed, and she goes, 
is this your house? I'm like, no, I'm the laziest burglar in the world. What do you think I came in and I found Baby Bear's bed? Like, yes, this is my house. And then she said, do you know this? And she takes me out and there I stand at the bottom of the stairs looking a bit sheepish and going, do you know this man? And I went, yeah. But I was very tempted to say, I was tempted to go, I have no idea. Who I've never seen this before in my life. But I was really tempted to go, I think he may have guest hosted. Have I got news for you? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I told that story then. That's not you the know. end of the story. That's not even the end of That's the story. That's not the end of the story. I won't, I won't close you in the story. What did she say then? Oh, yeah. When she left, she could tidy <laughs> up a bit, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said, this would be a nice house if you tidied up a bit. Uh, was the police officer's final words. Well, we swept the drugs off the table. We saw you coming. <laughs> that was enough tidying up for us. Like, then they let me go, and I don't mean that let me go in the night. They just go. Yeah, they right? didn't give me a lift walk. anywhere. Yeah, I walked from either the Crouch End to, Ho- to Holloway Road. It was four miles of walk. I mm. stumbled along in a tuxedo. <laughs> Good morning, people uh, in tux. Yeah, how much? But because of- I told that oh, yeah. story at yeah. his wedding, right. The producer of Mock the Week was there. I said, oh, you should come on the show and do that story. Because and of that speech. Because of that. So I didn't even realise that my best man speech was my Mock the Week audition. <laughs> you know, having been a comedian all these years, I, I only get it by, by, lit, by slagging him off and I went. I so mean, every gig's a career I, gig. I got no work out of Ed's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, just, I was selfless. I did it for just... For, for, <clears throat> Your arrival in London is the, kind of the polar opposite to Dara's in that when we spoke on the show, you explained to me that you'd literally been doing comedy three months yeah, and arrived down to London with two open spots booked, yeah, hoping for the best. Yeah. Is that how you tend to do things or was that just a moment where you were like, oh, I will figure this out somehow? Uh, I look back and, and, and I'm surprised... I, I wouldn't have the confidence to do that now. It was just blind hubris. I, I had heard that London was paved with comedy clubs. Right. And they were basically, you know, they were, they were handing out uh, TV shows at the bus station when you arrived. Uh, so, uh, you dropped yeah. out of college. I, yeah, I dropped out of college. And then I, I did comedy for a few months in Glasgow and then moved down to London and was broke. And, and a, I mean, a couple of times I had to cancel open spots I was supposed to do because I didn't have the bus fare to get to them because my dole check hadn't come. Proper poor carry on. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that was your advice at the end of the episode, if people remember, was don't be afraid to go home if you're abroad. You considered it at that point going. Yeah, I'll I never considered go. getting a real job. Did you notice that? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> go home to Mammy and Daddy. Yeah. But, but my advice has always been to comedians starting out to, to, is, to, is, to, is to leave their jobs. And some people take ages to leave their jobs and they don't get the start. And whereas I, was, I would travel to mm. the other side of the country for 30 quid because it made a difference. And it, it meant that I was making a decent living within a year and a half because I, I just... But that I was interested because when I listened back to that episode, I was like, we just glossed over that, that you went through a period where you were like, I may go back. And then you said, and then I decided I'll work hard, I'll do something to make this happen. Do you remember what you did differently that brought about this significant change that in six months you were making a living at it? What was the, what was the, the switch? No, I think I bought an answering machine. Really? <laughs> Which at the time was a very important Big step. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, People calling you back. To getting, yeah, to yeah. getting work. It was that, uh, that was, Yeah, it was something like, there was something as stupid as that or a, a, a file of facts or something. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it was, it was just, a, a, 
and and hassling people a bit more. Right. So there wasn't any looking. Not, not going. Not around. Because I write. You, you think when you're 21 and you think and you've had a, a couple of good gigs, think I'll just do some open spots and I'll, like I'll be making a living in no time. Yeah. And it's not not the, the case. case. Although, like that time, as you, like you say, it wasn't far off it that there were comedy clubs absolutely everywhere. Things have shrunk an awful lot. Mm. When Darren arrives over, you're you're not doing comedy three months here. No, no, I, your I, risk was, I was that you had a thing here. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been doing it about eight years that stage, or seven years that stage when I moved over, and I, I had come, I left uh, Don't Feed the Gondolas. Uh, which is a thing I had done after I'd done loads of other stuff, and I and I left it to do the oh, loads of other stuff. Echo Island. Echo Island. You didn't yeah. want to say it. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your effort to turn that against me failed. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so I had three fabulously enriching years on Echo Island uh, with pets, uh, and then graduated. No, but I, I I ditched it in order to do the festivals and start traveling, and it felt like the right time to to head over. But the uh, but I needed to get out of here because I think there was uh, there was a phrase that actually always very ra- rang true that I don't know somebody else wrote about me once saying that uh, he was one of those comics you're labouring in the wake of Tommy Tiernan because at right. that stage the place is enthralled Tommy and all that and so you had to get out from behind that to a yeah. huge extent and so, so it, and it wasn't specific because I never thought about that at the time it was just part of the journey but it was helpful to get out of here and I, I remember uh, being interviewed by someone from the Irish Independent rang me when I was in London uh, and this is after I'd left Gondolas and I'd gone to do Melbourne and, and, and Edinburgh and all these festivals so I was out of Ireland but she rang me to do one of those little interviews that you do one of those kind of like slivers of a, of a strip of a side or something like a, you know your cultural week or one of these kind of filler t- interviews uh, and one of her questions was um, you stood off the comedy shows do you do any of those anymore oh. uh, and you're going yes <laughs> I just moved to London <laughs> it's just like so I disappeared off, dif- disappeared off the face there but went over differently to him went over with having done a few Edinburgh's and also with um, years of like five six years of, of training yeah. The, uh, which was a path that you would have spoken to people like Ardell I, I don't know if you've done Ardell yeah. yeah. Ardell went over and won the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year Award away. having done 10 years of stuff <laughs> here right uh, so we've always spun that line of going oh, oh why died what an amazing city but here's an hour and a half of material I have that I've done and tested and done and so so I was able to pass through the circuit relatively quickly because I'd done loads of stuff beforehand. Well, I think it for, built up a lot of resentment on the circuit. Not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Only a little bit for me. But, oh, oh, I've had to put out fires on his behalf. People complain <laughs> what a, yeah, what a yeah. terrible He's, man he is. He played here once, yeah. Yeah, I played here once. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the wide-eyed thing, it's brilliant. It's, I'm glad that you brought it up because um, my, my wife's parents told me, it's like one of their best tips going over there was, do not to be prof- uh, afraid to play the thick Irishman when in trouble over there because they will go for it each and every single really? time. I didn't know you had to pay for the tube. Are you joking me? Uh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought this was all laid on. It was the term they used, laid on. Uh, like it was a party in London. Like a buffet, a transport buffet uh, that you yeah. can take from. Your in-laws sound like... Uh, Scam like, artists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they are the best. Did you I think know. there was a dowry coming with your wife and then it turned out there wasn't? <laughs> well, when, I, uh, when he spat in his hand and shook her. <laughs> you're you know, my blessing on the wedding. There's people here that know them and know that that is not a million miles away. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, an, it's an old Irish family where, and the line that I wrote about them was that they, they do believe that there's an alcoholic cure for every ailment, <laughs> including alcoholism. Right? <laughs> uh, but they, have you been in that? Had you and did you? And he clearly used it with the police there. Uh, oh, sure, Jesus, I was just hailing down a taxi. Had you at any point in your time in England in those early days used the wide-eyed Irishman to get out of things? 
trying to think of a deal. I, th- I, there- I never got into things. I, I pay my train fares. That's <laughs> uh, about the size of it. I, right. I'm a model citizen. Well, I guess the question is, was it ever, and did you ever feel it was an advantage? Yes. Were there are times when you were like, uh, this one is One way in which easy. it was an advantage, and which it isn't an advantage anymore, is there was a frisson. Uh, even and I was at the very end of the frisson, uh, whereas Ed was mid frisson, uh, which was the uh, yes uh, what? Uh, <laughs> a what a ripple of tension uh, or peril the, uh, because of the north right, right. and their um, inability. Yeah, they don't like us in Newcastle. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> but you'd go to Yorkshire <laughs> and the, the, no, there was uh, about because the the troubles were were had just finished when I was there were still going on. We were there. You could talk about them on stage. And the fact you're from this island meant that they thought you had some unique take on it and were coming, like, and it was quite edgy and interesting. It was like the easiest thing in the world. And reviewers would write about this as a, well, he addresses the situation in the North. Like, yeah. this was some this achievement. Was cutting you, edge. Yeah, yeah. You, and you see that about, for example, Muslim comics uh, then uh, after 7-7 or 9-11. If they, if it was like, oh, how edgy. And you're going, this is literally the easiest button for us to press is to talk about in the North. Like, what? What? what like I'm from Bray how much genuine experience did I have we all know of the troubles oh it was bitter it was bitter in Bray about that one, <laughs> yeah. one side little Bray and big Bray were divided <laughs> on the 12th every year uh, but, it, but you, you, could, you could pull that cloak around yourself of of course in Ireland we know all about that yeah, yeah. Uh, and that would it would buy you uh, a certain amount of edge uh, and it was right. you know which, which isn't, I don't think it's available anymore and I think you remember when it stopped becoming available because I really feel like now that if I draw attention to it or if an Irish comic draws attention to it, it's quite hacky. It's, yeah. a, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'd be Jakers. It's yeah. just even even a tiny reference to it feels a bit like well, it's going for the obvious. Just, well, Britain is so, so much more multicultural now that we are quite old news to a certain extent mm-hmm. the, uh, that, that there's no real huge surprise I mean like you, you know and I, I even avoid try saying it on Mock the Week or something like that. We even having a couple of Irish people on it's not a thing uh, anymore because mm-hmm. there's no novelty in it there's so many Irish around so uh, uh, the other advantage is with the Terry Wogan always said is, is, uh, is about the classlessness of our accents yeah. not here obviously I'm clearly better educated than he is this this much is certain yeah but, <laughs> but they can't tell anything apart they can't mm-hmm. and if you, and, uh, and they're, they're obsessed to this not necessarily with class but the education you got in England will discount you from debates if you uh, if you let on that you went to Oxford you went on to went to a, one of the genuinely world class universities they have you are no longer have it, allowed to have an opinion on many issues right. because you're, your grad has been too privileged but if you go I went to UCD and previous that I was in Irish language Christian Buddha school they have no concept no of problem. what that means <laughs> or whether that means you're poor <laughs> or rich yeah. or what but it means yeah. it makes you more relatable it's, it, it's why the Irish dominate in fields like you know TV presenting and stuff like that because you can't alienate them with being you know yeah. too working class or too middle class because they can't pin you down and they, so you're neutral and you because come the, a day when they will I don't think so because they just they don't it, you don't it, it's very hard for you to a lot of time if you listen to like an American accent as well it, it, unless they're proper you know yokels it's, it's very hard to tell if somebody is posh or not they just sort of sure. sound American and and it's the same thing if you have an Irish accent in Britain and it's they're, because they're so class obsessed more so than we are here as well uh, they, they, you, know, it's, you don't alienate as many people I think it's uh, you say you slept on Ed's floor for mm. it was a spare bed I never what said he said it <laughs> it was a whole you had 
in the room and everything. And it had its own door into the garden and stuff. No, it didn't. It was. was oh, that was after. Yeah. That was Glen Wall had. That. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I had. Um, I had a box room that was the length of me, and I was very. I was very appreciative of the room that was that I would lie in, like my cell, uh, and it had <laughs> a lot of your stuff in it. Uh, so it like there was a small pile of stuff which is mine, and the stuff would all mix it. But it was a, it was a box room about th- about three months initially uh, was the. Uh, and so it was literally as you arrived. This was where you stayed, the first place. I'm trying to think. Of, yeah, I think it was. I, I, the, yeah, I think it is because then after that there was a couple of other things, and then eventually you did a few hit and runs where you were I just did, over yeah, yeah, London yeah, for a bit, yeah. and he would stay. Yeah, I was in different places. Because Ed said that when he was starting out, you said Greg Proops and Phil Jupiter were the guys that specifically nice were blokes, very so. nice yeah. to you. Yeah. as you came along, Do yeah. You remember who those people were for you that were like, "Come on in." Your well, dream. obviously, he him as general landlord to people, so clearly that effect rubbed off. I was the proprietor of the Waifs and Strays Motel. Yes, right. Who so, did yeah. you have stay in this hotel? I've had, I, 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 Maxwell lived with me for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, 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 has, he has since broken up with that woman, but for a good while there, he was nearly, he, he was one foot in and one foot out <laughs> with the mother of his child and living with me, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Glenn Wall lived in my place for a bit, and, uh, but visiting all, American all visiting, Canadians as well. American yeah. Canadians, all, all visiting Irish comics estate had stayed in the treehouse as it was known uh, it seems like a much I love this guy here I just spot him out of the corner of my eyes literally lying flat listening to the show like you're at very home in, a, in your room it is a very comfy he's on a beanbag and it's 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 pretty hot in here. Yeah, I, I it, don't it hold is. it against. Quite it. louche as an environment for for a live <laughs> event, isn't it? Like it's not really the energy where you want. You know, nothing. The feng shui is wrong in your room, but it is quite like. But you don't get a lot of laughs of people who are like just lying down on a beach. It is, but I think everyone's having a good time so far, right? Is everybody? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't okay. care if okay. they're silently having a good time. Right? Yeah. The important point is that they vocalise that. And when they're curled into the bag of beans, that's not going to happen. I'm interested well, in, so, in your answer to Charles. Eddie there and Ian Coppinger. No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying, who else do you remember being nice to you when no, you first arrived no, on the circuit? only you, actually. Generally, people were really <laughs> sullen and angry that I'd arrived in, in my ermine robes like King, <laughs> uh, and Breeze too. No, it's weird actually because I, I, uh, comics end up being friends with um, people they work with at a particular time of their life. So the, the closest comedian friends I have uh, would be people who I, Deirdre Kane or Simon Evans or Andy Parsons are people who I've spent a lot of time away on the road with and we had bonding or people I live with in Edinburgh. So that's, mm. that's who we're best. There are mates from work that we end up being very good friends with. For things. So yeah, so there's an age of the circuit that you pass, the people you pass through the circuit with I think end up being possibly your closest friends then from there on in. Actually, yes. I just remember as an open micer, you know, were you doing your five minutes for nothing? And sometimes the other comics on the bill would really just even resent you being there. You would, it was just it was five minutes later they got to go home and stuff like that, particularly yeah. the MC or whoever was on last. And it was also sometimes the open like because you're doing five minutes, you can go, you might go really well. If it was a tough crowd, it might go really well because you're only on five, and because you get introduced as he's only new. And if you manage to do well, it. it it then, another piranha in the water. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like being a pigeon landing on the court at Wimbledon and people just cheer you because you're not a tennis player, you know. <laughs> and it's just, it's a, it's just, you just get a bit of, you can, have, get, it, you can also have a disadvantage sometimes. But the point is that sometimes you had a real resentment and you could feel it from the, from the professional acts on the bill. Because the whole uh, thing's changed, right? We, you can agree that this whole landscape of comedy has changed since then yeah, significantly. Enormous. In that the London that I went to a year and a half ago and tried to claw my way onto the ladder has 
a million acts trying to get on that yeah. like the, oh, I'd hate to be starting out today. Yeah, but that's the yeah. question. How do you think you would get on? I'd starve. I'd be dead. <laughs> There's literally nothing remarkable or different about either of us that would have meant that we would have shone in the current climate. There's so many great acts out there and so many acts generally. 600 acts. When I was doing Edinburgh, there were like 200 comedy acts on, which feels like, a, like that sounds like a big dogfight. And there's 600 now. Uh, I think, and that's you actually really think uh, that you would. I don't know. No, it's it's real. Well, it's, I don't, look, the only thing is, I mean, well, I say that uh, it was particularly for the kind of like uh, you can book them anywhere, uh, kind of uh, act like myself, whatever. That that it's not like we had, you know, we're like the mighty Bush where there was a kind of a, a hook or an angle mm. on us that we had, like whatever, uh, you know, which is very helpful sometimes just to get you noticed and all that. There was never anything particular like that. I mean, you just. You know, you were never up for awards and stuff like that, or mentioned for things like that you just got loads of work. But whether that work now exists, you know, whether there are enough clubs now to make that breakthrough to get seen, and people go, "Oh, your man's very, he's very polished." You can use him in a lot of different things. I'm not sure how much. Well, it's it really weird what's happened with the comedy circuits uh, now, particularly in in the UK, is that the the, the the clubs used to be massive, and you could make a living without being anybody, and you could make a living without even leaving the M25. You could make a decent living as a comic. Working, yeah. There was guys that just played anglers, doing the same twenty minutes every time and all that. And now that circuit shrunk. There it is. That's just the beginning. To hear almost sixty minutes more of this conversation and hundreds more full-length Irishman Abroad episodes and shows, join us on Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Help support the creation and continuation of this series for years to come. For less than a fiver a month, you'll gain access to all our episodes, shows, live events. And for a limited time only, everyone who signs up in the first two weeks of August will get my brand new stand-up comedy special, Notions 11, shot by my favourite director, Mike Donnelly, in Vicar Street in March 2020. That's hundreds of hours of entertainment, inspiration and laughter for less than the price of one of your fancy coffees over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. I want to say thanks to my ultrasound producer, as always, Brian Connolly, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. And finally, to our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw. Jigsaw.ie are a youth mental health charity that is changing and saving lives across all communities back in Ireland. Now, more than ever, they could do with your support. Go to Jigsaw.ie to see their great work, get some help with the young people in your life, or maybe... Through a donation, you can help them.